You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The devil does not make you proud. The devil exploits your pride. Tasker writes this, The devil is constantly saying to the Christian, Why keep so close to the narrow way and the humble path? Why not be more self-assertive? Why not express yourself as fully as you can? Notice when people start doing this in society and we, we in the church, we start to cringe. Other people in society say, wow, they're really expressing themselves. That's cool, that's great. And we're like, no, they're showing off. Is it just me or is it someone else? Was I influenced somehow? These pondering thoughts are not uncommon for anyone. When do you know if it's your desires or Satan's? Pastor Tom addresses this question today by stating that deceit, threats, and backstabbing shows you that the devil's at work. He banks his success on you and I not knowing and believing Jesus' truth. Friends, if you really want to notice the lies of your greatest enemy, spend time getting to know your biggest fan, Jesus. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 with today's edition of Discover Hope. When you said Jesus is Lord, you are making a statement that you are submitting to him as your Lord. It's not just that he's some Lord out there. He's the son of God over all the nations. He comes back to rule over all. We have to learn to say in our hearts over and over again, when I said that Jesus is Lord, that means right now he is Lord over my life, my pocketbook, my plans, my children. He's Lord over all of it. Submit to God in those areas. R. Kent Hughes says, Many believers have a quiet feud with God. Is there hidden rebellion in our lives? Is it so hidden that perhaps only those closest to us see it when they hear our morose humor and momentary bitterness? If so, there's only one answer. Submit to God, he writes. Let go and say, Though I do not understand my situation, I bow before you and submit my whole life to you, end quote. You will never be disappointed that you submit to God. It's only the devil that tells you otherwise. Speaking of the devil, here we go. Submission to God is connected to the next two actions commanded of believers, which brings us, brings kind of out to the four, God and the devil. And he starts with the devil, interestingly. He says, resist the devil. You see that? Resist the devil. That's a command. That's a command to believers. It's a command to believers similar to 1 Peter 5, 9, which says, resist the devil firm in your faith. Notice again where the responsibility is placed. It's placed on the believer, right? Again, I have to say this. I said it last time. Sanctification, your growth as a Christian, becoming more Christ-like, must be engaged. It cannot be a merely passive process. The command is given to us, and the command is resist. Literally, it means to stand against. Sometimes it was used as a military metaphor. Stand your ground, no retreating. Don't turn tail and run. Sometimes it's translated in your Bibles with the word oppose, such as the men who opposed Moses in 2 Timothy 3.8, or a man named Alexander the coppersmith who Paul wrote vigorously opposed his teachings in 2 Timothy 4.15. Here, the one that's supposed to be doing the resisting is us, and the one we are to resist is who? The devil. He's the one to be resisted, the devil. The devil is not a metaphor for evil. Here's where we need to take our Bible seriously. 
The devil, as the Bible writes about the devil, is a real spiritual person. You cannot read the Bible, all the dozen locations that it talks about the devil and describes the devil and gives the devil's words and what he likes and what he dislikes and conclude that he is anything but a real, intelligent, spiritual person. People who interpret talk of the devil as merely a psychological description of mental illness, they're blind to the fact that there is a real spiritual world. You can't even explain the physical universe without backing up to something that's not the physical universe, a supernatural realm, a spiritual realm. It's logically required. And there is an angelic sphere where there are all kinds of orders of angels. And there's battles going on there, and we need to be aware of that combat. Now, by the way, we're not told everything we want to know about spiritual con combat in the Bible, but we're told enough to let us know it's real and we need to be aware of it and we need to know that some of the stuff that happens in our world happens because evil spirits are at work, particularly at the behest of this one evil spirit and ruler, the devil himself. There is that supernatural dimension and that needs to be part of our thinking. So the devil refers to a real devil, not a guy with a little red suit and uh, the pitchfork and all of that, but a real fallen cherub of God. He is a being who evidently was made quite beautiful, quite powerful, quite intelligent, but now he arrogantly opposes God and he rages in anger against God. In fact, he rejects all things of God. In Revelation 22, it labels him the dragon the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So now we know every time the Bible talks about those four titles, it's talking about the same person. The term devil means slanderer. What an appropriate name for him. Satan's goal is always to oppose the work of God and to slander the reputation of God so the people of God won't follow God. Since Satan always opposes God, we are told we need to resist him. For anything that he does, and he does and tries to do with us, will hurt us and hurt our walk with God. Turn for a moment to the le Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with the spiritual armor and spiritual battle, but um, this is a great corollary verse to look at, since more is explained in Ephesians than in James. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, I'll read. It says, "'Finally, be strong in the Lord.'" Can't be strong on your own, notice. And in the strength of His might, you don't have enough, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against. And here he's a little more particular. He doesn't say to stand firm against the devil, although that's intended, but to stand firm against the methoduo, the schemes of the devil, the methods, his tried and true methods he's used for generations, for millennia really, that lead people into sin and rebellion against God. And then in verse 12, we're reminded our struggle is not against human beings, flesh and blood. You know, don't get angry, don't get a foaming mouth anger at people of the other political party. Do you understand what's going on behind the scenes? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, what are we to do? Get out and vote? No, it doesn't say that. 
Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Evidently, there's an evil day that the devil targets certain people. It's not talking about the end times in this context. It's talking about some time where a church or individual is attacked, and you don't know when that's coming, so you need to keep the full armor of God on so you can resist in that evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Notice again, stand firm and put on the full armor of God, it says. We are in a perpetual resistance movement. It's against unseen spirits and rulers in another dimension. We can't see them with our eyes, but they're active. Jesus did battle with the devil in the wilderness, correct? Satan came down and afflicted Job, and he had to endure through his trials because of an attack of Satan God allowed in his sovereignty in order to show God's greatness in sustaining Job through those trials. Adam and Eve fought a losing battle with him in the ancient serpent. Ephesians 4.27 says the devil looks for opportunities like a foot in the door so he can get to you through anger. It says be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity because he'll take it through your anger. Going back to James 4, why is the devil brought up right here? Why is he saying resist the devil? How does that fit the context? We kind of answered it already. Because the devil is the architect and the ruler behind the system called the world. Remember, the world's not talking about the planet or necessarily the people, but the system that includes fallen humanity and all of the evil spirits, they're part of it. It's an organized system, and Satan is a ruler of it. How do we know that? 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are of God, we Christians, and we know that the whole world, same word, lies in the power of the evil one. That's Satan. He's at work in the world. He uses the world to lead us into sin and rebellion to God. The world is his, it's his realm. It's what he has designed. It's what he's fought for. It's what he's conquered. It's what he offered to Christ if Christ would become the Antichrist. Remember he said, bow down and worship me. And there's Satan in his audacity trying to turn the Holy Son of God into the Antichrist and have him rebel against God and worship him. And what did the devil have to offer the Lord Jesus Christ? All the kingdoms of this world, remember? In Matthew 4. And the devil works to entice the flesh that was mentioned back in verses 1 through 3, those pleasures that wage war in our members. Dan McCartney in his commentary adds this insight. As God resists the proud, so believers are to resist the devil, the quintessential architect and archetype of pride. It is the devil who fosters jealousy and ambition, offers a fake wisdom and a false faith, and brews a broth of discord and contention and murderous envy to sap the church's vitality and undermine its integrity. Boy, he's at work, isn't he? We may ask, in what sense is the devil at work in our own temptations? You ever had that question? When is it me and my depravity and my selfishness and my lusts, and when is it the devil? How much do we blame me and how much do we blame the devil? It's a tough question, actually, because they're both involved in temptations. I'll try to answer it this way. The devil's main tools are in the area of lying and intimidation. That's what he likes to use. He likes to use lies and intimidation. Lying, and even more particularly, he loves to use slander. Then he dares us to go against what he says, to go against the world in particular. 
We talk about how people are afraid of other people. They're really afraid of going against the system that is around them. They're afraid of speaking up, of being different. That's because they're afraid of the world's system, you see, and he intimidates them. You want to speak up for Christ, but your mouth stays closed. He's intimidated you, you see. He used what's around you, the threats from the boss, whatever it is, the system that's there, keep your mouth shut. Don't speak up for Christ. And he's quite successful with it. He uses his underlings, the fallen angels, to keep us quiet. And so he actively opposes God, and he does it with lies. What was the first thing that came out of his mouth in Genesis? The first thing that we know he ever said, other than it was back up in heaven. First thing he said to Eve, right? You will not what? You will not die. That's a direct lie. That's a direct contradiction of God's word. And then he slandered God's intent in giving the command in the first place. So the lying is his tool. Lying is his realm. He's called the father of what? Lies. But lies only work with those who don't know what? The truth. Lies can only work with those who don't know the truth. Back at chapter 1 and verse 14, James said that we are tempted when we are carried away and enticed by our own lust. There he didn't even mention the devil. But the devil tempts by putting suggestions, lies, false teachings, and justifications, which are lies, for the sin that we want to do. And he puts those thoughts, and he has many different ways of being able to do that, through the media as part of it, into our minds, which then our flesh that we are responsible for doesn't want to resist the lie, kind of looks at the lie, listens to the lie, and says, I like the lie, and grabs a hold of it. The devil does not create our lusts. We're responsible for that. The devil exploits our lusts. He's responsible for that. Through lies, the devil gives the rationale for that lust. It's not going to be that bad. No one will know. He gives the rationale for the envy, but I deserve better. I've worked so hard. He gives the rationale for jealousy. He takes advantage of us. You see, we're weak. He knows we're weak. He comes up with the justification, the lie. That's his tool. And then you say, I like that. I'm going to use that. And you embrace that. Even though you know the truth, you just suppress it for that moment. But there's a thing about the truth that has a way of bobbing back up, and that's why your conscience bothers you later. In other words, the devil works in the realm of your thinking to ignite the sinful aspects of your humanity. The devil does not make you proud. The devil exploits your pride. Tasker writes this, the devil is constantly saying to the Christian, why keep so close to the narrow way and the humble path? Why not be more self-assertive? Why not express yourself as fully as you can? Notice when people start doing this in society and we, we in the church, we start to cringe. Other people in society say, wow, they're really expressing themselves. That's cool. That's great. And we're like, no, they're showing off. You know, sit down and be quiet. You're showing off. We don't like that. That offends us. To them, they're like, oh, I really like how the person's expressing themselves. He goes on, why not express yourself as fully as you can and find power and enjoyment in that self-expression? I am the prince of the world and the whole world lies under me. I offer to you the full pleasure and happiness of the world. See how hard it is to be a Christian? He, he could say, what I'm going to give to you, you can see and feel and touch right now. You want happiness? You want pleasure? Man, I got it. Come on, right now. It's going to start any minute. And God says, no, don't do that. Don't follow that. That's not going to be joy. What do you mean that's not going to be joyful? I know that's going to be exciting. Don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. God, he's trying to keep you from the good stuff, see? 
And because it's right there within reach and you can taste it and you can feel it and you can enjoy it and you can jump up and down with it, you're like, you dive into it. And that's the lure of the world and Satan is just so happy to draw you into that. But you're supposed to know the truth. Where does all of that lead? Momentary delight, momentary pleasure, and then what? Pain, suffering, consequence. Devil never talks about that. By the way, the commercials never talk about that either. Just buy and you'll enjoy. But what about when I'm in debt? And what about when, you know, my wife yells at me? And what about when, what about, what about, what about, right? The consequence. Don't think about the consequences, please. That, that would, that's following wisdom. We don't want you to follow wisdom. We want you to dive into the world. Don't be wise and think about what's going to happen. Goodness, that's what the Bible says. So he says. So the devil is to be resisted then with truth. Truth, God's truth, Scripture. Isn't that exactly what the Lord Jesus did when he was attacked by the devil in the wilderness? When the Holy Spirit actually set up the battle with the Lord Jesus? Because it's the Holy Spirit who drove him into the wilderness in order to be tempted by the devil, right? And on the 40th day, Christ is at his weakest, his hungriest. Then comes the devil, and there's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know all the kooky things people say these days about spiritual warfare and what you're supposed to do? Grab your crucifix and shove it in the face of the, the devil that's coming after you, you know? Get the holy oil and sprinkle it on all the way around there, you know? Get it around the house. I once had someone tell me I needed to take, I needed to take holy oil and put it all around my house to make sure the people that lived in it before that were into paganism, that that stuff would not bother my home. I said, no, I think I'll pass on that. I got the Lord Jesus in my heart. I don't need to do that kooky stuff. That's not spiritual warfare. What did the Lord Jesus do? He didn't even say, I bind you, Satan, you may not speak. Did he say that? <laughs> when the devil came to him, what did he say? It is written. Oh, the authority of God. And then he quoted Deuteronomy because he was out in the wilderness for 40 days and Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years and they didn't learn the lessons of Deuteronomy. The Lord Jesus was meditating on Deuteronomy and it, all three of the Passages of Scripture he quoted were from Deuteronomy, and he, the obedient Son of God, was submitting himself to the will of God by making sure that his mind was stayed on Scripture, whereas Israel wouldn't, and they continued to fall to the devil's temptations in the wilderness over and over and over again. Satan got upset with Jesus quoting Scripture, and so he decided to quote Scripture, right? And that's the bag of tricks he pulls out. Oh, you're going to quote Scripture. I can quote Scripture too. And then the Lord Jesus followed up with, on the contrary, it is written. You misuse the Scripture. So you see, the Scripture is not magic. You can't just pull a verse out and use it willy-nilly. You have to understand the Scripture, yes? He had it memorized, true enough, but he had it more than memorized. He understood what it meant, and he believed what it meant. And then he said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thrice he pulled out the sword of God and quoted it with power. The Bible is effective in spiritual warfare when it is understood and it is believed and then quoted right there in the heat of the battle. If you will wield the sword that way, oh my, what temptations you can overcome. Look at the promise. we got to get to this. Look at the promise which follows. He will flee from who? Little old me. Little old you. This ancient cherub fallen in all of his might and wisdom. He only has those tools, lying and intimidation. But you're only intimidated because you believe the lie. So it really all goes back to the lies. 
and you don't believe the lie and you know the truth, the devil doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have another thing to pull out of the bag or out of his pockets. And he shoots his lies and we don't believe it. The gun's empty. There's nothing else. He doesn't go to plan B. He runs like the cockroach that he really is. And he hides, right? He can't stand up to truth. He can't stand up to God's truth. You pull out God's bazooka, the Word of God, and he heads for the hills. Now, he'll try to use tricks, like I said. Paul called them schemes. He tried to twist Scripture with uh, the Lord Jesus. That's why you need to learn your Word well, study it well for yourself. But it was only at the end, after he quoted Scripture three times, that the Lord muzzled his mouth and said, Begone, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus fully expected that once every lie was refuted by the devil, the devil would have to leave. He had nothing else. That's all he's got, folks. That's it. He's got lies, and you've got truth. Doesn't that give you hope for spiritual battles? It gives me hope. Why would he run from me? He's not really running from me. He's running from the Word in me. So, you and I can't fight him. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Or be strong in the grace of God, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We have to be strong there in that realm. You're going to go out. You're going to do battle. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted with all these things we're talking about, all these things here. They're in you. Satan's going to exploit it. How's he going to exploit it? Through the world, through friends, through commercials, through the temptress, through whatever, something in the world, through the intimidation of someone who has power in the world. It's part of what he's doing. He uses the media. He gets the message out there. He uses the educational system to, to promote lies. He uses all those things. He uses some of your neighbors. He uses that. That's part of the system. You need to recognize it. Have truth. Be ready. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Be armed. Be ready. Be prepared. Don't be lulled to sleep week after week in church. Oh, same old Bible study. Have aim. Have purpose. Know what you're going out for. Life's hard. A lot of things get thrown at you guys throughout the week. One thing after another. You have to realize that's part of life. You have to keep coming back to these basic truths and use them. That's what the Lord Jesus demonstrated for us. What a great example he was. The devil has no power over you. You are a believer in truth. Greater is he who is in you than what? He who is in the world. The devil is to be consciously resisted, and when he does, he does not win. You win. You're not like the world. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they cannot see the light of the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4. But you're not like that. You have truth. You believe truth. You have the Holy Spirit of truth inside of you. You know what is right. You young people know what is right. You know what is true. You put that in your heart. You realize that Satan wants to snatch some of you and take some of you away. Satan wants to turn your life in some other direction. Satan wants to exploit your anger. Satan wants you to destroy your family through lust. Satan wants to use the world to reach your weaknesses. You need to be armed with truth. Take it seriously. Study it. Get before the Lord. Study it. Learn it. Meditate on it. We were talking about meditation. Meditation is so important. What you're saying to yourself throughout the day, say the Word of God to yourself. Because the other thoughts that come flying in there, you think they're your thoughts, and there's a sense, of course, in which they are, but their source is back there somewhere. 
putting thoughts in you that discourage you, put thoughts in you that are not true, that make you not believe God the way you ought to, that make you not think that sacrifice for Christianity is worth it. And people can get into depression and even a suicide because that. That's the destroyer. That's the liar. He has to be resisted with truth. Arm yourself well. Don't be cocky. I got a few Bible verses. I can handle anything thrown at me now. Bring it on, devil. Let's go. (laughs) Don't get like that. Just humble yourself. It's the truth of God. And you shoot those ideas out of your mind. You hear? Control is a hard thing to let go. Necessary, though, in the life of a believer. It's called submission, as you heard from Pastor Tom's message today. It's critical to recognize God's authority over everything. With the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, you can knock pride on its rear because you don't believe in Satan's lies. He wants you to boast about your accomplishments, but that doesn't speak to humility. What kind of people do you want to be? With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leak, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Ever felt like there's a tug of war for your attention? Who's winning? It takes concentrated effort to diminish any space between you and whoever you desire a relationship with. It's the same way with God. Be sure to tune in next time to hear Pastor Tom talk about the hope we have in Jesus to not be like those around us that follow the crowd in unbecoming ways. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.